0: Welcome everyone to episode 160 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford, and I'm joined by Dan Club and Mark Baker as we discuss Liverpool's 2-2 draw at Brighton.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So Liverpool, for what I think was the fifth time this season, fell behind against Brighton. It was Adingra who opened the scoring after an error at the back. But they actually went into half time ahead probably against the run of play salah scoring twice in six minutes just before the break the second of those was a penalty and unfortunately they weren't able to hold on for the victory because lewis dunk equalized for Brighton 12 minutes um from the end so it is a point it's um another point on the board after the defeat last week but also i suppose you could say five points dropped over this tricky away double header and um, we'll start off as regular listeners know, with our 3 match review. But we also want to know, um, from you, Dan and Mark, what you thought about that point? You know, is it one of those days where you feel like point gained or, or two points dropped? I'll start with you, Dan.
2: Well, my three-yard match review is an opportunity missed, which kind of points you in the direction of what I felt that the result means, really, I guess. Um, I think on the balance of play, as you kind of alluded to, Liverpool were somewhat fortunate to go in ahead at half-time, I think. I think Brighton they dominated a large part of that first half. I think it's fair to say that possession stack came up at one point midway through and we have like 25% of the ball it says a lot about what was going on. So yeah, somewhat fortunes to go in ahead. Um, but I think when you go into sort of the last 10-15 minutes with the lead and you've also had and squandered opportunities to, to sort of put it to bed and make it 3-1 and then you obviously end up conceding the equaliser and, and that's how it finishes. It feels like Yeah, a bit of a missed opportunity now. I don't think Liverpool are very good. We'll come into that a little bit later. But those are the sort of games and the type of games that we previously managed to get over the line in when we've gone on to do something special for a season. Um, And like I said, more the fact that obviously we now know what happens to Man City a little bit later on. And I think sort of tying in the Spurs result from last weekend just makes it all the more, not painful, that's too extreme, but disappointing, I think it's fair to say. So yeah, that's my overall take on the point. Because a point from these two games, albeit both difficult, doesn't feel like a lot.
0: Yeah, and I take the point about um, the the Spares game last weekend. And I feel like if the outcome of that had been maybe a little fairer, then this feels a bit different as well. I mean, granted, there isn't much difference between maybe two draws and a draw and a defeat, but just in terms of, you know, the, the mindset that we're in, obviously heading into this international break. I think that is obviously something that dictates it quite a bit. I'll throw it over to you then, Mark. I mean, is that is that a good point for Liverpool or not? Yeah,
1: so uh just thought for the the words aspect of it, I just thought a little bit disappointing at the end. Um, a little disappointing. That's more for me. Um yeah, I think in context with the, the Tottenham game, I think they're two difficult to weigh games, but I think if you'd have picked up three points today after being in a, a winning position, I think you know, you could have potentially handled a little bit better what went on sort of last week and Liverpool missing out on the points where they played quite well. So I feel overall it'll be a disappointment, not because Liverpool were fantastic in the game, but I felt because they got themselves into a scenario, especially with Ryan Gravenberg having that opportunity at, at 2-1. You know, I, I feel if that goes in, Liverpool probably kill the game off at that stage. And as I felt Brighton played well through stages of the game, in terms of possession, they had spells of of good possession, but Liverpool, I I believe, ended up having more possession and and greater amounts of XG, which is the first time that that's happened to Brighton on their own pitch, so that just shows you really that Liverpool's performance was probably enough to, especially after getting themselves ahead, to to be able to extract a a win out of the game, which they didn't end up doing, so I think that's got to be looked at as a disappointment.
0: Yeah, and just that that stat you alluded to there, um, I had it noted down as well, First time since De took over, which was near enough a year ago, and um, that an away team has had more possession and more XG away from home. So I think you can take that as a positive from the performance. And um, I think with the Gravenbergs' chance, it's weird because I do think two-two is a fair result at the end of the game. Like I don't know what the exact XG was for each team or anything like that, but it just felt as if you know, Brighton, to be fair, when they went to two, had, had a glorious chance to win it through Jao Pedro. And then obviously we're having a, a different conversation entirely. So I think it's one of them where, yes, you know, you fought back and you could kill the game. But, you know, I think on balance, it's a point that both teams deserve. It's just a question of, I uh, mean, maybe, maybe like you said earlier, Dan, Liverpool when they were winning things didn't always maybe get the result that was one hundred percent deserved. They found a way to get the three points even when and um, the team might feel a little bit aggrieved about that outcome. Um, in terms of my three words, I've gone for defensive errors costly, um, and I'll come on to that more in a second when we when we get into those in a bit more detail. But I think really the way you feel about the results comes down to do you think Liverpool are in a top four race or in a title race? Because if it's a top four race, then I think. You know what? Point away at Brighton, perfectly fine. Um, Brighton have won um, eight games out of 15 against the big six since Derby took over. They're one point behind Liverpool. They're a Europa League team. Going away from home there and drawing is, is is decent. I suppose you just think to yourself when it's, you know, when you're trying to go for a title, as we kind of hope Liverpool would, I suppose, after the, the early weeks of the season, it feels more costly, especially on the back of last week and it's not just the result that's costly in that regard i think you always also have to worry about a few aspects of the performance um and let's get into those now so i mean we could go through each and every point um individually but i'll kind of ask it a bit more openly to you dan i mean as you saw it what were the main reasons liverpool didn't leave the amex with three points
2: yeah, I mean, you you alluded to it there. Obviously, individual errors. I felt as a unit, we actually defended for the main OK. I think mean, mean, pretty solidly. I think all the back four actually had decent games. I think Trent in particular and Joel Matip actually were both really at the top of their game from a defensive standpoint. Trent, especially, I thought he was outstanding. Uh, obviously, gets taken off. Um, but I imagine that was a fitness-related thing as opposed to anything to do with form or, or anything like that, or his performance, because, like I say, I think he's brilliant. Um, so individual errors were costly. Obviously, the Van Dijk one and the Robertson one. <laughs> I, I don't know how much you want to cover this or are willing to cover this. But I, I, what I will say, actually, before I go into a negative, is that I think at full strength, the lack of squad we had available to us really hurt us today badly. Because you could tell the front three in particular had either ran out of legs or ran out of ideas a little bit towards the end. And it was it never felt like, when it went 2-2, it never felt like we were going to create something magic. there's was even a moment where Mohamed Salah just runs into two Brighton defenders. And that was him basically saying, I don't quite know what else to do now. Whereas in previous games like that this season, we've had the likes of Jota and Gapo to call upon. And they can come on and really add that additional impetus into the performance. And we didn't have that today. So that is a big hindrance as to why we weren't able to take all three points, that lack of depth on the bench, which has been a big strong point, like I say, but I'm not sure we got the Harvey Elliott selection exactly right. And that might've been sort of borne out by the fact that he gets dragged a half time, of course, but McAllister, uh, I, I thought his first half performance was bang, bang average. And that's taken away whether you think he's culpable for the first goal or not. I think there's, Blame to be proportioned around a few places there, to be honest with you. But I think he really struggled, really struggled badly. I think everything he did laboured. Um, I don't know what it was, but is the six doesn't suit him? We all we all know that He wasn't signed to be a six. In the most layman and simplistic of terms, the lads wearing number ten on his back, and he'd play in the deepest of our midfield three. And I don't know if we're doing him any favours anymore now. Personnel wise. Our best midfield probably doesn't contain Endo because in terms of like ceiling, ability, I don't think he gets in. But in terms of the balance and what he offers us now, I don't know if it's time to go for it or not. I really don't. I've seen somebody earlier on, Matt and David Lynch, sort of correlated it and related it to when we had like, we just ended up going with Reece Williams and Matt Phillips because that's what they do. That They are centre-backs and we're better for it. I don't know whether we're in a similar sort of boat. Now, Alexi McHale has had some okay performances since he came in. He hasn't set the world alight, like the Subozla has done. But that's two halves of football now. The one today in the first half, especially, and the Wolves game, albeit the circumstances around that, the travel and the international stuff I'm fully aware of, whereby he's looked not at the races. He's looked miles short of it. And again... I'm willing just to sort of pass it off as being just one of them things. But I was really concerned by <laughs> him first half today. Honestly, I thought it was genuinely really poor. And I'm not sure he improved that dramatically second half either, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's get into that now. Um, first of all, the tweet that you mentioned, I also saw, um, it's from Dan Kennett said. the downside. Yeah, oh. on Twitter that um, it was like the Nat Phillips and Reese Williams situation. And I do think there's merit to that just in the sense of, you know, Endo is clearly a limited player. I mean, there's no point pretending otherwise. You know, not to say that he's not done alright, but like, that's what he is. He's just an alright player. Um, But does the kind of collective ceiling go up when you have players in the right roles and sort of, is that just better structurally and more balanced? I think there's a definite discussion to be had about that. Um, I'll bring you in on McAllister Mac- on in a second, Mark. I'll just throw my hat-, hat in on this one first of all. I mean, I think there are moments when you watch him where you can see that it's just not his position. And I think today it was mostly the fouls because I think he's clearly not the quickest or sometimes he just gets, you know, left behind um, by players and stuff. But I think it's also things like the timing of tackles and just being aware of, of danger and stuff. And he just doesn't have that. And I'm not blaming him for that because that's not the skill set that he's kind of been sort of honing really. Even when he was playing deeper at Brighton, I think a lot of the time he was alongside Caicedo, who would have been the one doing a lot of that stuff. Um, And, you know, the free kicks today and stuff that he was giving away, I mean, they were in dangerous positions and stuff, and just didn't necessarily look fully equipped. And Klopp actually addressed it before the game, uh, and he he was talking about McAllister's best position. He said, if the team defends well, then McAllister can play it. And clearly that's moving to kind of a more collective model when it comes to the defensive side of, of things, but I don't know if that's 100% true, because there's always going to be moments in games, and especially games like today, where you're going to be left exposed. Those number eights are going to be high up the pitch, or they're going to get bypassed, or whatever happens, and you need kind of that firefighter figure there. And I don't know if McAllister just has that in him to the extent that Liverpool need him to. And feel for him a bit, because, you know, I think it was a few weeks ago, I said the was a little bit underwhelmed by how he'd started. But obviously, there's this big mitigating factor that he's just not in the position that we envisaged him in. I mean, when he arrived, Fabinho was still at the club and I think everyone thought he was going to start in that left-sided eight role. Um, And I think maybe he will still end up there long-term. And obviously, to a degree, it's the fact that Liverpool didn't bring in the ready-made replacement when Fabinho left as well. So it's kind of put him in a bit of a tricky situation. I think he said today in an interview that he thought, you know, he was happy to play the role. um, And he, you know, didn't... Have any misgivings about it, but I don't know, I think privately he must be like, come on, you know, give me an actual chance to show what I can do here. Um One thing I will say is, <clears throat> as much as there was moments, I think, in his own half, where he just looked like a little bit sort of a tee, I think he read the game decently well at times. He he, he had five interceptions today more than anyone else, and I, I think there was a few moments where he's in the right place to sort of intercept, that look like put on the front foot one of those, leading to uh, the first goal for Salah. So it wasn't all bad by any means. And, and like I say, I do have sympathy for him. He's not in his best role. But um I, I do feel as if you looked at this game. I mean you looked at the game against Tottenham I thought the same and ended up being a bit different because of the red card. But these two matches you thought they were going to test whether Liverpool's defensive midfield so, you know solution was actually adequate and I think we're coming out of it and we're not convinced that it is. Um Mark, do you think McAllister is suitable as a defensive midfielder for Liverpool over the course of a a full thirty eight game season? Um,
1: it's an interesting one. I think we'll have to sort of see more evidence as it goes on. But if it, I certainly think he can he can play the position. I mean, just in terms of like out of possession, I think obviously it's an issue if if you defending wide open spaces. He's not really the kind of profile of player that you want in them areas. Just as to some extent, just as Fabino and Thiago were and people talked about they'd lost the legs last season, especially in Fabinho's case, but he never lost his legs. Liverpool's shape was just expanded, and the fact of the matter is he didn't lose his legs over the summer, the gaps got bigger, the units of the team got more stretched, and all of a sudden he looked vulnerable. And that's the same when you've got someone like Alexis McAllister in them areas. When your team gets stretched, obviously it becomes a problem without possession. Um So that's the first thing Liverpool need to defend better as a collective. But having said that, with Alexis McAllister in the role for Liverpool this season, I still think with 11 men, I was reading the statistics that they're actually conceding less than one XG per per game in terms of 11 men. So that shows me that Liverpool aren't being ripped apart with them in the role. Obviously, they've had a numerical disadvantage for a lot of the games. So obviously, from a defensive point of view, without the ball, I think you're going to have to be as compact as you possibly can. Like I remember a season, for example, when Ilkay Gundogan played a lot as the deepest midfield player at Manchester City. Or when you think of Michael Carrick and Paul Scholes forming a partnership in central midfield as the deepest players. These players can play them roles. and But again, you need an organised team. I think the thing that's concerned me the most has actually been him in possession, which is really surprising to be honest. Because I'm a big fan of his. I've watched quite a lot of him with watching messy games and stuff like that. He's always been such a clean, technical player in terms of his ability to operate inside spaces, progress the ball, that kind of thing. But actually, I've seen him really rushed in some of his decision-making when he's received possession. And, and that has really, really surprised me. Um, just technical deficiencies. Even today, I thought one of the biggest problems Liverpool had in the game was when they were trying to build up from the back, often the ball was going square or backwards when the players needed, to, especially in Alexis McAllister's case, he needed to open up his body, play off the back foot, and be able to progress the ball forward. And them split seconds, either closing your body shape or opening, can be the difference between coming out of sort of organised pressure as Brighton have, or end up going back and circulating it back and then all of a sudden Liverpool give away the ball. And I think that's been a little bit of a concern for me. And a lot of people will, will sort of say, well, you know, it's the position that he's playing, he, he normally plays higher. And I understand a little bit of that. But if you think about Brighton last season, very, very often, they would build up, build up with a a two in midfield, so him and Caicedo have played them deeper positions and operate on, on different lines so it's no different than actually what he's doing in the build-up with Trent Alexander-Arnold for Liverpool the majority of the time now, and yet he seems to be having a real issue with that at times when there's there's organised pressure, pressure on him, sorry, so so that is something that he's he's got to get better at for, but I think he's more than capable of doing so, I just think it's he, I mean, even in the European game the other night did you see he made an error towards the end of the game where he, he, again he had a closed body shape didn't see and tried to play backwards so but I, I don't it doesn't concern me in the fact that I don't think he's got the ability to do it. I think he's actually playing with a little bit of a lack of confidence at the moment in terms of when he's receiving in them areas which is which is a surprise to me. But um but I do think he's a I, I do think he's a really good player and I do think he can play the deeper position. And me personally I would rather have a player like him in that midfield alongside a Jones and a Suboz line getting your better players on the field knowing that he can do the job, because I think he can play deeper. I would rather that at this moment in time. And another reason being is, I don't necessarily know if I'd play him higher over the other two anyway. So that would mean, you know, there's a debate over whether he even gets in the team at the moment. But, yeah, a little bit of a mixed bag, but I do think he's a really, I do do believe he's a top player, and hopefully he'll start to show it. I think for Liverpool's point of view, I think the quicker Thiago gets fit, in terms of that deeper build-up in the game, the better, because he is the player, I mean, as a deeper player, and I think this is maybe one of the, the problems Alexis has playing in that role, is that he's very capable in short spaces in terms of combinations, maybe a little bit higher when he's playing in amongst bodies. But sometimes as a deeper player, you've got to have more range to your passing. You've got to be able to progress the ball with longer ability to be able to go short, over the top, switch the play. And obviously we know that Liverpool have the best player in terms of that sort of thing. In Thiago So hopefully he gets as fit as soon as possible And that can solve some of these issues Because I think mean, if you have him in there With Alexander-Arnold It just gives you so much more variety In the way Liverpool are able to get out From that pressure sort of thing So that's my sort of view on it
0: Yeah I think you're absolutely spot on In terms of the, the kind of sloppiness In possession as well I mean that's been probably the most surprising Feature so far And that can't really be explained too much By position that he's in um, but I, I would agree with you that whilst I think we maybe expected a little bit more so far, I, I do think that it, it'll come for him. Whether that's you know straight after the international break or whether he needs just a few months, you know, obviously you know we compare someone like Sabaz like instagram running straight away in his best position, maybe McAllister, someone where he kind of clicks a little bit further down the line, um, and that's okay because he wasn't just bought for for this season or the first half of the season or anything like that. And um, one thing I would say is with the first goal, I mean. There's a few different sources to blame. I would say McAllister was mostly responsible for that, just in the sense of there was a lot of those situations in the first half where Liverpool were playing those kind of passes and they would just knock it back. And don't get me wrong, as Mark was saying, it's not ideal to do that. Um, you know, you want to be moving forward. But I think if McAllister checks his, his sort of right shoulder and knows a ding was there, then it's just a simple pass back to Van Dijk and Liverpool uh you know back to square one, but safe basically. Um so I didn't agree with Carragher, blaming Van Dijk for that. Allison, no. I've not really looked at his position too closely, but um, in fairness to him, he did, I'd say, redeem himself with a brilliant save from Adingra in the second half. Um, so again, who knows what the outcome is if that goes in. But yeah, one other thing to mention, just before we move on to the more positive side of things. Um, the I, think it, I don't know if it was the FA or the PGMOL I, I kind of get mixed up between them sometimes, to be honest. But they've said that the reason Pascal Gross wasn't sent off the dragging down Dominic Saboslai, the Mohamed Tala penalty was that they didn't think it was a clear goal scoring opportunity. And that's something that David Lynch reported on Twitter. And I mean, to look at it and to come to another conclusion it is very bizarre. I think Liverpool can feel a bit sort of hard done by on that one, to be honest. And not have been playing against 10 men, especially given the fact that they've already had, you know, four red cards in matches against them this season, some of them very um, questionable. So, that's another thing that we would be remiss uh, not to mention. But um, yeah, like I say, in the end, in terms of the game that we actually saw, a draw was a fair result. But maybe if you a put your thing, hang on, no, the game should have been, you know, totally different in outlook in the second half. But yeah, let's move on to the more positive side of things and having dealt with all that stuff. And um, Dan, what are the main sort of sources of encouragement for you heading from that game into the international break?
2: Yeah, interesting one. Um, I think Trent's performance, as I alluded to earlier, was absolutely top draw, particularly from a defensive standpoint, given the fact that he was up against a really difficult man to pin down in Matoma. I felt like he dealt with him really well. Uh, There's obviously the moment that the free kick comes about, but that's actually Canate coming over and giving that away, and there's debate whether it's even a free kick or not. But I think Trent, like I say... Brilliant. It's going to be a really, really, really top quality performance. And there's a time whereby I mean they played quite a long direct ball, certainly by Brighton standards over the top. And Trent's the one who sensed it and he's the one sort of retreating and albeit sort of literally a toenail he gets on it to sort of divert it out of the path. It's outstanding defending on the stretch, like it really is. And not just the fact he reaches that ball, but the fact, like I say, he was alert to the fact that that was even happening and he's the one getting back in to deal with it. So Trent was definitely a positive. Um, I actually felt Ryan Gravenberch was a huge positive as well in the second half, albeit with that massive, gaping, open goal of a caveat that he probably has to score that. But, yeah, I was really impressed with Gravenberg and continues to be really impressed with Gravenberg, actually. I think he's used to the ball. And more than anything, it's probably his, his intent with the ball. We just sort of touched on McAllister being a little bit withdrawn, perhaps. Maybe it is confidence thing. Maybe he is scared because of the position he's playing. He does want to sort of overexert himself and get caught playing a bad pass or whatever. But Gravenberg is first intention and his instinct is to get going forward. He's on the half turn and his turning, his ability to get away from opponents is absolutely outstanding. He draws fouls all the time in doing it. I'm I really, really growing to love him more and more. I've only seen him in sort of glimpses at the moment, of course, but I think it was another huge step in the right direction. It was interesting that he didn't actually start the game. I felt certain Based on midweek, if that was an audition between himself, Endo and Elliot, it just felt like it was Birch but clearly not. But yeah, I felt like he was another. And it was sort of, it was fascinating how, there's probably loads of reasons behind this, but on the most basic of points, like Harvey Elliott was pretty anomalous really, in the first half. Like the, be- the best thing he did was not touch the ball for Mohamed Salah. But he just couldn't get into the game. I don't know if he was finding enough spaces. I don't think his movement was intelligent enough. However, flip that on its head, the change of Gravenberch. We've seen loads of Gravenberch in the second half. Now, albeit Liverpool maybe played better generally second half, and that could be doing Harvey Elliott a disservice, but just felt like Gravenberch's ability to want the ball and to, to sort of make himself available all the time was a real positive to take from the game. I don't think it was a game full of positives in Liverpool, to be honest, I think. A lot of the lads had decent games without really. I think Nunes' all-round play was good. He didn't have any major chances there, which isn't really like him, given the fact that he's usually that chance magnet that we talk about. Diaz frustrated me at times. As much as we'll talk about Grabenberger's big miss. I think Diaz had an opportunity to put the game to bed as well, um, which he probably should hit the target from as a bare minimum. But yeah, I'll say I think Trent and Gravenberg are probably my two major takeaways from this in terms of being positives.
0: Yeah, I think I'd agree with both of those shouts. And, you know, you mentioned Nunez there. I thought I was really impressed uh, with his link-up play in the second half. You know, the sort of decisions he was making when he had the ball, the execution that he had and the intent, I think, was all very positive from him. So even though he didn't score today, um, that was impressive. And he also gets an assist for Salah, which is seven in a row for the same player, which is the first in the Premier League era, which is, is quite mad, really. And... Um, Mark, same question to you. Then, I mean, what are the the standout positives to take from this game?
1: I, I think the main one for me, Dave, is just if we remember how bad Liverpool were against Brighton last season, they were absolutely picked apart, made to look ridiculous, really, in in the way they tried to go about pressurising Brighton, and and it was an an absolute mis, mismatch and won a really dark day in the season. I think actually they got beat by them twice, didn't they, away from home, but it equally painful both times. Um, so I think when I looked at Liverpool I think in general and again today like I mentioned before in terms of when they've got 11 players on the field is they look a lot more organised they look like they've got a lot more better structure to them and obviously the season a lot less chances than last season because last season out of possession I thought Liverpool were absolutely terrible at times until they changed shape and I think that's got to be the biggest positive I noticed in the way that Liverpool set up to try and counter Brighton playing out they played with a a, a two-man forward line who played narrow, so they went in a four-four-two to pressure the ball. They had Salah and, and Darwin Nunes as a two to stop that central progression because what they were trying to say to Brighton was if you're going to go through is you're going to go wide and not through the centre of the pitch, which we all know that Brighton liked to do. Then they had the four behind with like pushing onto the deepest player, which meant that they couldn't get them bounce passes out, which allowed them to to build a bit more like they normally do. And I think that was the reason why Harvey Elliott was initially included into the side, to be honest, because because they were pressing, pressing with a 4-4-2, Elliot's more comfortable playing as the wide-right player. And I felt that that was why, or the thought process behind it was behind his inclusion initially. In the second half, they flipped it, put Subozlay out there and put Grav- Gravambach on, on the deepest player. But there was a real, I think, in terms of our possession, not just in this game today, but I think in general, Liverpool's units look a lot tighter. They're conceding a lot less chances, and they look a lot less um, likely to be able to be played through. And again, I just think, you know, the, the, the chances, the big chances that they're mostly conceded this season have actually been when they've had less players. So I think in general, that's the big thing for me because Liverpool have always got enough players to score goals. But I was really concerned last season about the level of coaching for Liverpool, which sounds ridiculous because, you know, Klopp's a fantastic manager. you has got a, a, a magnificent coaching staff, no doubt they've proven the credentials of that. But I felt Liverpool were one of the worst coach teams in the Premier League last season, especially out of possession. I thought they were absolutely terrible at times. And it's been a lot different for me when I'm watching this season. And even today, I felt there was a real understanding of what they were meant to do at certain times. Don't get me wrong, Brighton were able to play through on a number of occasions. That happens. They're a very good footballing side. But in general, I didn't think the opportunities were there for Brighton to be able to carve Liverpool open like previously. And I felt that that was the biggest thing to take and will be the biggest thing for Liverpool going forward, I suppose. On the negative side, just the fact that they've still got issues when there's organised pressure to be able to build up in the deepest areas of the pitch. And if they don't sort that, they're going to continue to struggle against the better-to-organised you know, sides.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, Brighton, they've got to be sort of, you know, when you use the phrase tough to play against, you think of like, you know, the, the Burnley teams of Sean Dyche and things like that, where they make it physical and they go direct and all that. But Brighton are sort of tough to play against in a different way because they are, you know, Klopp called them the best coach t- team in the league. And I think that's probably a fair shout, especially given the, the resources that the Zerby has. And um, and I think there were sorts of moments in the first half when Liverpool, were, like you know, like you mentioned, Matt, were trying to build up, and you know the supply line just felt like it was completely cut off for them because of how compact that Brighton shape was. Um, and I sort of looked at that and I thought there's two ways Liverpool can, you know, try and counteract this. Um, number one is to play direct, but I didn't want to see them do that because I remember in this game last year. They basically could, they're having the same issues with building up and they just basically started hitting it over the top but i think i think it might have been salah and Gakpo the front two for that game um i'm not 100 sure yeah um, so. and sure enough you know they just couldn't make the ball stick um and i think as much as they had nunez in this one i don't know if it, if his strength is to be that kind of old-fashioned you know player you kind of hit with the long ball so i think that wouldn't have been the way to go the other option was to kind of force the high turnovers basically um, and kind of avoid the need to build from the back at all, and that's what Liverpool started doing. I think there was almost a switch that was that was flipped after about maybe half an hour within the game, and they really started putting Brighton under a, um, a lot more intense pressure as they played out. And that is what leads to both goals. And Liverpool surprisingly were actually down towards the bottom of kind of the the metrics for kind of high turnovers, high turnovers leading to shots and things like that um, coming into this game. And part of that was because they were, had been up against ten men a couple of times. Um, Or Sorry, they'd had 10 men a couple of times, which means they were kind of sitting deeper. But it was good to see that feature return. And if if that stays going forward, then I think it's going to be a big asset to Liverpool. Um, I thought Liverpool, um, like you alluded to, Dan, previously, that they were better in the second half as well in terms of Klopp found found a solution to play through Brighton. Because there was, I think, Liverpool in the first 25 minutes didn't have a shot on target um, or, or even a shot at all. Um they were really struggling. Second half, they were, you know, carving Brighton open a few times. So I think you know, Klopp did well in that regard. And to be fair, I don't know if anyone said them. And I apologize if they have, but um, we might we might have reached the half half hour point of this podcast without touching on Mohamed Salah scoring twice, um, which I guess says a lot about how inevitable that is. Um, and he just continues to kind of extend his own records. Um Think today before today he hadn't scored in seven straight Premier League away games, but then you looked and he had eight assists in those matches. So it just shows you that he always finds a way um, to make the difference. So just to finish off, then uh, fellas, we'll kind of gauge where well Liverpool are at um, in the broader Premier League picture. Dan, at the top of the podcast, I talked about whether the view of this game is determined by Liverpool being in a title race or a top four race. I mean. Of those two, which one do you see Liverpool fitting into at this moment in time?
2: I, I, I think we can be in a title race. I do, and that, and that's not me just being like blindly optimistic by Liverpool because I'm always glass half full, as you well know. Now I've been doing this for long enough, but I just and it's, it, there's something about like we're three points off the top. I think I might be saying now after picking up a point from two games. That, that says to me that it, you might not need a 95-plus-point season to go and win it. I don't think Liverpool are capable of a 95-plus-point season. But if you don't need that, then then, then why not go for it? I'd not rather be in a title race with one of the North London clubs, I'll say that right away, than Man City, of course. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I look at the squad we've built, and albeit sort of depleted today by the obvious suspension and the injury to Gakpo and stuff, suspensions, rather, an injury to Gakpo but I think at full strength I see no reason why we can't really challenge for this and part of that's sort of made up by the fact that what Liverpool have done and what we've been able to do and all the positives marked us upon in terms of being harder to play against than we were last season because at times it was it was brutal to watch this game this fixture twice and the Wolves away as well they were the lowest ebbs really weren't they I think we're we're We've come full circle from that. I think we're we're well, well beyond that now. So I think what Liverpool have done is a huge factor in the fact that I do think we can compete for a title. But I also think, as I kind of alluded to a moment ago, like Manchester City, Arsenal, and I suppose you've got to include Spurs in this conversation now as well. I don't think they are complete by any stretch of imagination. Like we've seen what, you know, two injuries have done to Man City, albeit huge injuries, and probably the two key players apart from Haaland. And they're not—they're not that. They're not formidable. It doesn't look like Arsenal. Likewise, I'm not—not not convinced by them either. I think Liverpool at full tilt under Jurgen Klopp can compete with these sides. So that's why I'm more disappointed today than I probably should have been. Because you're right—a point away at Brighton, especially given how poor we were there last season. If you want to get top four, sound that's a good result. But I think we're capable of more than that. I really do. Um, and I hope I'm, I'm not sort of foolhardy and we end up 10, 15 points off it. But I've just got this sneaky suspicion that we can almost force our way into a title race. And that was an opportunity today to make a statement. Now, like I say, three points off the top, that's still within shooting distance. So why not? But I just think we've got the goals on our side. And if Mark, you know, there's no he, he's right in what he says. If we can stop conceding, we'll always have goals. Even today, we're missing two of our key footmen, and we score twice. So I think we've got a shot, I really do. Um, and like I say, that's what makes results like this even more frustrating.
0: I think, for me, I, I look at the numbers and you, you look at the, kind of, the, the hard evidence there. I mean, Liverpool, one point behind Manchester, three points off top. They've played Chelsea, Newcastle, Brighton and Tottenham away from home already. Um, you think, do you know what? I mean, I mean, even some of the, obviously the, the team stats as well. And Mark touched on those earlier. You think, yeah, I think they're in with a shout. But like just watching them at the moment, they, they don't necessarily look like a, a title worthy team to me. You know, just not quite having everything that they need for that.
2: But um, do you need that. Sorry, do you, do, in in the in the recent years, you've looked at Liverpool and indeed Man City. Yeah. But you've got to be perfect yeah. to go and win the Premier League title. And and right now it doesn't like you do have to be perfect to go win the League title. I say, because we've gone head to head with Man City and it's taken ninety-five and beyond to do it, I get what you're saying because Liverpool mm-hmm. aren't we don't look like that right now. But if it's gonna be eighty-five or there or thereabouts, or slightly less even, I think we can do that. You know what I mean? That's what's giving me that little bit of hope.
0: Yeah, I'm still I was looking through that that prism of, of what we've needed previously. Um and it's kinda hard to Shake yourself out of that. But um, you know, if it is to be a little bit more of a nutritional title race this year, then that would obviously suit Liverpool a lot, just given the the stage that they're at in kind of this Liverpool 2.0 project. Um, last word to you then, Mark. Do you think Liverpool are genuine title contenders at the moment? I mean, maybe they could do something in January that, that changes the picture a bit.
1: Yeah, I suppose it depends where they are at that point. I think the big thing at the club will just be really to get into the top four. I think that's absolutely paramount with being a season out of the Champions League. And I think we'll have to see where the sort of land lies in in the coming weeks. I think the positives for Liverpool is, like you mentioned there, I think Dan was mentioned as well, is they've played a lot of you know, difficult opposition so far, in terms of especially away from home, and they've come out with a def- decent points total. Now, if you take that in blocks throughout the season, you'd like to think if Liverpool are continuing to get like this sort of block of points against other sides, or maybe increase that, then they've got a fair chance of finishing high up the table. Also I think the fact that Liverpool are in the Europa League, I think that helps them. I think we've seen this season that they're able to have a situation where, let's be honest, that they're putting out teams in the Europa League that if Liverpool were in the Champions League just wouldn't be playing. And I think that is in in, in, in difference to the, the rest of the sides who, or some of the sides they're going to be competing with up the top end of the table that gives them a massive advantage to be able to prepare and rest their legs and, and be ready for the weekend or midweek games in the Premier League. So that that's something I think that'll play into their hands as well. I think if I'm looking at it, I think obviously Arsenal and Manchester City are better sides. So all the numbers told you that last season. But I think Liverpool's goal difference or XG differential was something like fifth in terms of the whole Premier League. And when you think they played so much in terms of, you know, with with numerical disadvantage... It shows you that they've been quite good so far, Liverpool, when they've been able to have all the players on the field and even when they haven't, to be perfectly honest with you. So I think I need a little bit more evidence o- over the coming weeks and especially for them to win these games, which look more winnable over the coming weeks as well. I think Manchester City, are they? I mean, it sounds silly to say this because Guardiola hasn't never, ever shown any sign that this would be the case with his teams. But when you obviously win the treble, I think they've won three back-to-back titles now. Will that little one or two percent, whatever it might be, is that just going to drop a little bit from them? Um, I'd still, if it does, I still believe Arsenal will be the favourites to win the league just because they look a, a really organised outfit both with and without the ball. But they don't have the firepower that Liverpool do. So, and, and I don't think anyone does to be perfectly honest, honest with you, in terms of individuals. So there is promise there, but I need to see more evidence of it from Liverpool before. I could could suggest that they're going to be in there. I think at the moment, when I'm looking at results in my own mind, I'm looking at how far away they can get from the rest of the top four contenders rather than thinking about Paddy
0: challenging for the title, in my own mind anyway. Yeah, and Liverpool's next uh, four Premier League fixtures before they go to the Etihad are Everton at home, Forrest at home, Luton away and Brentford at home, um, which looks a lot more... um, a lot more winnable, like you say, and you'd have to think that if they can maybe get 12 out of 12 there, then who knows what what the picture would be heading to the Etihad, but obviously um, a lot of work to do to get the 100% record from those matches, but yeah, we will leave it there for this podcast. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Um, If you have enjoyed the episode, please do give us a five-star review, and we will be back during the international break with a couple of episodes, and then, obviously, looking ahead to the Merseyside derby. But yeah, until the next one, take care.